You are listening to the Center Church Podcast. Center Church is an unapologetic urban church in the heart of Richmond for the heart of Richmond. Our mission is simple, to empower people towards a life-giving journey with Jesus. Enjoy the podcast. Oh, thank you, Anna, for saying good morning. I, one person. Wonderful. Hi, um, uh, my name is Stephen Poor, and I'm privileged to be one of the, the pastors a part of this community. Um, and if you're new or newer to this community, I want to especially welcome you today. Uh, I know it's scary to walk into a new church or to maybe check out church for the first time in a long time, and we see you. It takes a lot of courage. Do us a favor. If you look in the front of the seat in front of you, there's a card. It's called a Connect card. We want to connect with you. We want to help you take next steps with our church, maybe in your faith, and that's the best way to do it. Oh, my gosh. Hi, Paula. I haven't seen you in forever. You look wonderful. My heart is bursting. I'm sorry. I haven't seen Paula in a while. Do you ever see people and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's you. Um, that's how I feel right now. Um, listen, uh, we are in a new series right now. It's just a two-week series called Deconstructing Jesus. Ooh, a provocative name, right? Some of you are ready to leave already. But just wait. Let me finish the sermon first before you get mad at me. Um, I want to start by asking a question. And this question, you're going to use to pass the piece to your neighbor. Our little friends are going in the back right there with Shannon and Casey. Can you wave, everyone? Um, so go ahead, young friends, stand up. And can we clap for our little friends? Um, they're just the best. My gosh, we are so grateful that they're part of our church family. And if you're in the back, we've made room for you instantly. Come on in and grab a seat. There's plenty of room on the front row. I promise it's not a Gallagher concert or a comedy. I won't um, smash uh, a watermelon at you. So I want to know, when you pass the piece, what is a deeply held view or belief? What is a deeply held view or belief that you've had in your life that has been challenged over the past few years. I'll start. Um, when I was a child, we used to celebrate big occasions by going to the OG. You may call it the Olive Garden. <laughs> and I used to think that the OG, the Olive Garden, was a five-star dining experience. <laughs> and so, <laughs> this is so embarrassing. Early in my dating life, I would take women to the <laughs> OG, thinking that I was whining and dining them with unlimited breadsticks and salad and an endless playlist of Frank Sinatra. But little did I know that the OG was not quite as fancy as I had once thought. So go ahead and pass the piece to your neighbor. What is some deeply held belief system, maybe it's Olive Garden, that you once had, maybe it's Chili's, um, go ahead, that you thought, and you turns out that it is not what you thought it was initially. Go ahead and pass the piece to your neighbor. Say hello. What is a deeply held belief? All right, come on back. I, I really want to know what some of you said, so if you have something really funny, please share with me later, Matt. I would love to know what you came up with. Um, have you heard of Creedence Clearwater Revival? You know, that, you know that song, Bad Mood Rising? I thought for the longest time it was, there's a bathroom on the right. Uh, that's another one for me. Comes to find out that is not the lyric. 
So <laughs> here's what's true about the pandemic. Uh, and I think all of us can say amen to this. The pandemic has forced many of us, right, to engage in the process of critically analyzing our beliefs, our practices, and in some cases, even our morality. In particular, centering for some of us who have grown up in the faith around Christianity. Like, isn't that true? Over the past few years of pandemic, many of us have began to question. And for some of us, this can be a very unnerving, treacherous, even uncomfortable process. Now, this process I just described is popularly called deconstruction. It's the process of deconstruction. And perhaps you're in here today, and um, it's not that you find the process of deconstructing unnerving. Rather, you find it concerning. Maybe you've come into this place, and you're concerned that so many people are deconstructing their faith right now. Perhaps when you hear that word, you're quickly struck with fear. What if the person I care deeply about leaves the faith altogether, right? But, but I want to make you feel at ease. Deconstruction doesn't mean rejection. Hear it from a pastor. To deconstruct doesn't mean to reject. That's actually rejection, Rather, it can be a precursor for rejuvenation if we allow it. If we're faithful to the process of deconstruction, it can be a precursor for rejuvenation. And it's important to both, and hear me out, re-find our faith and to refine our faith. It's important to re-find find our faith, and to go through the refining process of faith. Our text today from Malachi talks quite a bit about that. And deconstruction is the process of both refining and refining. And you'll observe that this is actually Jesus's way of challenging a worldview and a system of theology that he was, in fact, born into in first century. See, Jesus was a deconstructionist in some regards. We're not deconstructing who Jesus is. There is enough historical and scholarly content that we are 100% sure who Jesus was. We are merely saying that Jesus in Christ's own fullness was a deconstructionist as well. And so that's what we're going to be unpacking today. You see, we've all like Christ, have been born into deeply held systems of belief, practice, and morality. However, that deeply held system of belief, practice, and morality, friends, if I'm being honest, and I think if you're being honest, it gets challenged every single day. We inherently, as people, we change and morph as we become more knowledgeable. This is a natural progression of life, or we would still consider Olive Garden a five-star dining experience. We change. The person that my partner, my wife, Devin, married is not the same person as I was 10 years ago, and so is true about her. We change. We morph. We challenge our worldviews, our systems of belief. This is natural. 
And when we learn to ask better questions rather than having all the answers, when we challenge our assumptions, we start to change and become more of who God has invited us to be. Friends, (laughs) who you are is not someone that is supposed to have all the answers. Let God be God. Let God be a mystery. Come with your questions. Come with your concerns. Come with your doubts. And allow the fullness of God to be revealed to you by asking better questions, not having more answers and absolutes. That is what it means to be faithfully engaging in the way of God, the refining Christ. Are you with me? The refining Christ that refines something a little more pure, something that isn't centered around moralism or behavior modification. If you wear the tankini, then you'll be holy. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) But many of us who grew up in American Christianity in the 80s and 90s, it was about behavior modification, wasn't it? (laughs) you you better go to VBS. You better learn your sword drills. (laughs) Some of us, yeah, some of us are sighing. It's like, why? Many of us grew up believing that to question, hear me, many of us grew up believing that to question is to doubt. And to doubt is to lack faith, and to lack faith is to experience the eternal consequence of hell. Whether that was implied or that was explicitly said to us, many of us have grown up in that experience. But maybe you grew up a little different. Maybe you grew up in a mainline church. You're not off the hook either. Maybe there wasn't as much moral policing, but there was a theological redundancy which created very little space for mystery and exploration to take place. Maybe your church was a Sunday church only. Maybe you went to church where they used words like, we're all just family here. We're all just family. We love each other. And they quickly forgot the missiological call of God to be transformers of people. This series is called Deconstructing Jesus. And we're so excited to engage in that. And we'll see that Jesus refines the Jewish tradition to be more merciful. And thusly, because it's full of mercy, it's holy. It's not holy because of moralism. It's not holy because you do the right actions or you think the right way. Christ shows us that it is through mercy, it's through this radical extension of inclusion that we become more holy. (laughs) This is why we are unashamed to say we're inclusive. This is why we welcome people to the table, that we believe it is both deep and wide, because that's where true holiness is found. Our scripture reading today, Malachi 3, 1 through 6, is contextually written uh, just after Nehemiah had returned from Persia to rebuild the temple. This is considered a second temple prophet. 
Um, and in fact, the last prophet to speak in the Old Testament. Malachi is written roughly around 450 um, BC, BCE to 400 BCE, and the prophet is concerned about several things that are taking place. First is a lack of zeal for the importance of practice. Shortly put, they weren't doing the faith that had been instructed to them. They weren't acting justly. Second, there was an utter lack of zeal for God's way. The Israelites and those in power were exploiting foreigners, we read. They were treating workers unfairly. They were oppressing widows and divorcing for the sake of prestige with the Persian government, people involved in the Persian government and that was occupying Israel at the time. In other words, it became about power for the Israelites. They lost sight of what it meant to be holy. It became about power. You have to do these things in order to gain the power of God, power for the sake of control. And then the prophet speaks. Let's look at verse 1. Look, I'm sending my messenger who will clear the path before me. Suddenly the Lord whom you are seeking will come to the temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you take delight is coming, says the Lord of heavenly forces. The authors of the New Testament oftentimes point to this text to suggest that this messenger is John the Baptist. This messenger is preparing the way for Christ to bring about a cleansing, a refining, a refinement that is about to take place. Verse 2, who can endure the day of this, of his coming? Who can withstand his appearance? He is like the refiner's fire or the cleaner's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. They will belong to the Lord, presenting a righteous offering. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in ancient days and former years. You see, this Jesus will come, and he will demand a higher standard of holiness, one that isn't bound by moral gatekeeping, but rather that one that finds holiness through the tarred task of mercy. Jesus will refine the beliefs and practices so that others might refine what it means to be faithful to God. Um, I love HGTV. Um, I love Property Brothers. And there's always a demo day. And it's the day where they take down the walls, where they kind of peel back the drywall and look at the wiring of the house and the plumbing, and sometimes they find major issues. Sometimes they take out non-load-bearing non walls all together, and they open it up so that they can reconstruct. Does that make sense? They remove some of the walls, things that don't make sense, things that actually aren't helpful, so that there can be a little more feng shui in the house. Humans, um, what we prefer to do often is just slap a little paint on the wall, maybe add a little tile to the bathroom. What we prefer to do are take quick shortcuts. This is uh, the brain's way of what psychologists call cognitive misering. It's this idea that our brain attempts to hold on to as much power and energy as it possibly can. And so what it does is it makes quick inferences. It takes mental shortcuts 
rather than doing the hard work of asking questions, rather than digging deeper, rather than tearing down the walls, the brain attempts to just put up paint on the walls and make it look nice because it's quick, it's easy, it retains power, it retains energy. And Jesus came up against this same concept all the time. There was a real desire amongst Pharisees and Sadducees for holiness. you got to remember that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're not terrible people. They're not. Uh, pastors, we love to act like the Pharisees and the Sadducees are awful people. They're really not. They were an occupied people. And they wanted to promote zeal amongst the faithful followers of Judaism. They, they wanted to promote zeal. But the way that they promoted zeal was through behavior modification. The way that they wanted to promote zeal was by saying you had to do more, be more, be cleaner. And they were hoping that if by doing that, the people did that more and more, God would finally liberate them from Roman occupation. Pharisees and Sadducees, they're not horrible people, but they missed the mark. And that's what Jesus was making a commentary on. That's why in Matthew 9, we see this over and over again. Jesus forgives. The very first thing, he heals a man that has been paralyzed. And he blasphemies because he does so on the Sabbath. Jesus calls a tax collector, someone who aligns with the Roman government at the time, someone that was a power grabber, a money grabber, and he sits with this tax collector, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees question him. And look what Jesus does in Matthew 9, 13. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You've made it about what I'm doing on the Sabbath, but what I really want you to realize is that the Sabbath should always lead us to mercy. It's not about our behavior modification. It's not about our good uh, morals. It's about the mercy that we extend to our neighbor, and it's through the extension of mercy that we become holy people. You see, it's not about doing the right things. It's not about that. It's about having a transformation of the heart. And it happens over and over again. Eventually, we get to Matthew 12. And it's this really interesting scene where the disciples are hungry on the Sabbath. And they're walking through the field, and they begin to harvest on the Sabbath, to pluck grain and eat it. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees say, hey, hey, hey wait a second. You're not being holy. You're not promoting zeal. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Again, and he quotes Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That is Hosea 6, 6. You see, for Jesus, holiness didn't lead to moralism. Holiness led to mercy. And like Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Think about it as a pathway. We have two choices when we engage in holiness. Holiness can either lead us to moralism and behavior modification, or our holiness could lead us to mercy. And what Christ is saying is that when it leads to mercy, it's mercy that leads to a heightened holiness. 
not moralism, to refine and to refine holiness through mercy. Mercy with ourselves, mercy with our neighbors, mercy for the oppressed, mercy for those who are told they're not straight enough, not white enough, not rich enough, not smart enough, mercy for those that are too right-winged, mercy for those that are too left-wing, mercy upon mercy. Mercy leads us to holiness, and holiness is where we find God that is longing for justice for the oppressed. Far too often, we create bound-set communities we create bound set communities saying, hey, you have to act within these walls. You have to do and be a part of our community in this way. And what Christ says is, I want to create a center set community, one that is set on my way, which offers mercy. Mercy is an extension of God's doing it's a higher standard than moralism, and you don't get there by absolutes. In other words, moralism offers certainty, and certainty is the opposite of faith. Some of you need to hear that today. So the deconstruction, the deconstructing Jesus invites you to the pathway of that. Regardless of the questions and the doubts or the needing to know who's in and who's out, just know that the pathway toward redefining, refinding God is always centered around mercy. And maybe today you need that kind of mercy. Maybe for a long time you've made it about something that is not Jesus's way. I know that for me that is part of my story. When I was in student ministry, I tried to get my students to construct nice little card towers of systematic theology. I tried to get them to act a certain way. And when that card was pulled out, the tower, when something was pulled out from that neatly structured card tower, when I pulled one card out, the tower came tumbling in over and over and over again. I saw it so many times in my students. Maybe you need to construct something different. Maybe than a, rather than a card tower, maybe, maybe you just need to have a stack of cards on top of each other. Maybe it needs to be kind of messy. Maybe your cards need to be a mound rather than a structure. That way when you pull a card out, maybe, maybe when something happens, it, your, your tower doesn't come tumbling down. You still have your faith. Maybe you've thought of yourself as an outsider because you've had questions or doubts. Maybe you didn't find, fit the mold and you looked around wondering if you were the person with the issue. Maybe you've come in today and maybe you're just angry and lonely and hurt. Maybe you don't believe a word that is taught on Sundays. I want you to know that there's space for you, that there's mercy for you. I want us to take a moment I want to examine our own lives. I'm going to invite the band up. 
I want you to ask yourself a challenging question. Where have you allowed moralism to overshadow an extension of mercy? Where have you allowed moralism to overshadow an extension of mercy? Who? Who in your life do you need to make a little more space for? Who in your heart do you need to create a little more space for? What new questions can you ask about God this week? How can you faithfully refine and redefine what has been taught to you about God? Because I think the deconstructing Jesus invites us to faithfully engage in both. Faithful questions and faithful mercy. Will you pray with me? God, I'm sorry God, I'm sorry that I, I really don't believe you're enough. God, I'm sorry that there are times where I, I think if I just do more or if I just say things correctly or if I just become better that I'll become more holy or I'll be a better follower of you. But God, I'm grateful that you've met me even in that place. God, I'm grateful for all the times that I've constructed towers of cards that you've had mercy with me, that you've met me where I am and offered me a radical extension of hope through your peace and your grace. God, I ask that we can be a community of mercy. That we'll be a radically inclusive community, a community that sees the outsider and bring, brings the outsider to you. Help us to be sent to share more good news, more mercy with those outside of this community. In the name of the three in one. Amen.